one constant through all the years, Ray. Beyond the game. The ladies are digging my sweet bass. That's the dumbest thing I could think of. Our formula is this. We go out, we hit people in the mouth. You like that? You like that? That is a career ender, just like this show. You're already famous in Rochester, but watch out world. It's a faith-based sports radio program. We would be honored if you would join us. Hello and welcome into Beyond the Game. One more time, this is Zach Barletta filling in for Rick Benson. The Buffalo Bills got a little carried away this week, traded him to the Cleveland Browns, so um, next week they will have figured out that he's not a football player. He'll be back, but for now I'm filling in along with my brother Spencer. Speaking of the Cleveland Browns, part of the show was recorded before the free agent signing period opened, so a little bit of the show will probably be outdated by the time that you hear it. That's okay, you can just laugh at how hilariously bad our predictions are. Uh, as I just mentioned, with me on the studio line is my brother Spencer Barletta. Spencer, how are you doing today? Doing really well, man. Happy to be back. I am uh, getting over what the wordsmiths are calling the crud. A little sick this last week, but um, <laughs> doing okay, rearing and ready to go for another show. Glad that you have joined us. If you're listening, we're, we are glad that you have joined us as well. Let's jump right into it. Um, sad to have to start with kind of a bummer of a news story, but uh, I'm sure you've heard by now that uh, former Bills quarterback Jim Kelly, his cancer has returned for a third time. Um, gosh, I remember being a little kid and going to Bills games and seeing Jim Kelly, and it was the end of his career, and he wasn't the quarterback that he used to be, but you know, I'll always have those memories of watching him quarterback the Bills and um, he's a big part of my life and my childhood, and I wish him all the best, and uh, it's really unfortunate. For me, he's always been one of the greats that has kind of gone before, so to speak. I don't remember being old enough, or even if, I don't remember if I actually was able to go to a Jim Kelly game growing up, as you're a little bit older than me, or maybe I just don't remember, but he's been one of the greats, uh, certainly a Hall of Famer, and somebody who, growing up just a, a short drive from Buffalo, has been of course, an icon. And, you know, you see all the comments, what does Jim Kelly think about this upcoming draft class? What does Jim Kelly think about the new coaching hire? And so uh, we feel like we know the guy, whether he was just a football player or not. He's such a local hero. And it's certainly, certainly sad to see him struggling with cancer again. And we absolutely wish him the best and, and pray for him. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that you haven't watched him play because I believe his last season was when you were three years old. And uh, look, if anybody can beat cancer a third time, I think it would be Jim Kelly. He seems to think that he's going to as well. He's come out as courageous as ever, saying that, you know, he's ready to kick this thing's uh, butt, so to speak, a third time. So we certainly would like to see him do that and uh, agreed. He seems motivated and ready to take it on. Something else that came up this week in relation to Bill's quarterbacks that really has sort of frustrated me. If Benson were here, he would say that it frosts his fanny. And that is uh, a tweet that I saw. Now, you and I, Spencer, have been mining Twitter and the Internet for any hint of, you know, uh, uh, a, a trade rumor or a draft rumor or something about what the Bills are going to do at quarterback this year. And a guy that popped up in both of our feeds is a guy named Brandon Howard. Uh, he's at bhoward underscore 81 on Twitter. And the guy is an, a football analyst, I believe, for the Browns. 
And he tweeted this. He said, I don't know why folks continue to mock black quarterbacks to Buffalo. They showed the world what they're looking for when they prematurely benched Tyrod for Peterman. It's a new day in Buffalo. And clearly what he's insinuating here is that the new Bills regime doesn't like black quarterbacks. And there were a lot of back and forths in his mentions. A lot of Bills fans called him out for, uh, spoiler alert, it's a really bad opinion. But they called him out for it. And I would just like to be the last to sort of jump in and, and weigh in on this, which is that, look, if you're insinuating that the Buffalo Bills are a racist organization, I just don't see where you're getting it from. If you look specifically at the instance that he's talking about, where the Bills are trying to replace Tyrod Taylor, is it because Tyrod Taylor is black, or is it because he's a bad quarterback? I think if you know Spencer or I you would understand our opinion is that Tyra Taylor is just a bad quarterback. I know there are those out there uh, on the fringes of the internet and on Twitter who would say that he's a great quarterback, he just needs help, he needs better coaching, etc., etc. I hate to break it to you, but Tyra Taylor is not a great quarterback. I tweeted today, he's not even a good quarterback. He's a bad to <laughs> average quarterback, depending on which day you catch him. Now, if you catch him playing against the Dolphins for some reason, he seems to be a pretty good quarterback. But any other day... That's true. You know, he he's just... He's not. He's not a franchise quarterback. He's not a guy that you build around. It doesn't matter what weapons he has, because until they're wide open, he's not going to throw to them anyways. But, uh, Spencer, I know you have strong feelings like this, so I wanted to give you the floor a little bit to talk about whether Bill's wanting to get rid of Tyrod Taylor is not at all racist. You're right. This really gets me heated more than just about any argument out there. And a lot of it, uh, the racism arguments stem back to the game where they replaced Tyrod Taylor with Nathan Peterman against the Los Angeles Chargers. And I very much support Sean McDermott's statement. He said, if anything, it was, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, it was the wrong decision based on the way that it turned out, but it was not the wrong decision based on why he made it. And people are quick to point out that, well, look how badly Peterman played, so that somehow plays into this issue of Tyrod Taylor, uh, the team being racist toward Tyrod Taylor. Let's not forget that Tyrod Taylor was historically playing his worst season in the NFL and also coming off of a three-game slide wherein he played some of his worst football in his worst season in the NFL. A couple of brief stats. Some of these are just off the top of my head and some I have written down here. Tyrod Taylor completed one pass to a wide receiver, period, in four quarters of play against the New Orleans Saints in a game where they were absolutely blown out of the water. When your team is down and losing by a lot, you try to salvage the game and put up some semblance of a respectable score, and typically it increases your passing numbers. It did not. Tyrod Taylor has a 3-15 and record when trailing in the fourth quarter, which is a one point or .167 winning percentage that is tied for 42nd in the NFL. Tyrod Taylor has failed to reach 200 yards passing in 52% of games and has never thrown for 300 yards in regulation. Tyrod Taylor, and I've said it time after time, you cannot find a higher character guy, a higher quality guy, than Tyrod Taylor. He's a great leader. He's a great guy. He's a phenomenal athlete. You look at what he can do when being chased out of the pocket. But unfortunately, that does not translate to being an above average or franchise quarterback 
in the NFL. And the racism argument, frankly, is is disappointing, it's saddening, and it's frustrating because it shouldn't take um, it shouldn't take this route of this racism argument when you can see the numbers and all you really have to do is watch uh, the regular season games to determine that it's not a wrong thing to want a better option at quarterback. Agreed. And you know, it, I don't, I don't want to make this an anti Tyrod Taylor show or anti Tyrod Taylor segment. He's not a good quarterback. The numbers bear that out. Here's the bigger point that I want to make sure we don't miss here. And that is that when you attach the word racism to stupid things like the Bills upgrading a quarterback, it devalues the word racism and it takes away from actual cases of racism and actual people that are victims of racism. It, unfortunately, even in 2018, it still exists in this country and around the world and we see cases of it in the news all the time. And to those people that are struggling to overcome racism or that have been victims of racism, to use that term lightly, to throw it around in sports when a, a bad player who happens to be black gets replaced by a better player who may not be, to call that racism is stupid and it's insulting to every single person who's ever actually legitimately been the victim of racism. So, look, I don't know this guy, Brandon Howard. I don't know who he is as a person. I had never heard of him before this tweet popped up into my timeline. But I would just like to encourage everyone who's listening to this show to be careful and don't throw the word racism around unless it's legitimate. Coming up later in the show, we're going to do something a little bit special for you guys that we have never before done on this show. As you may have heard, Spencer and I host a podcast called Myths and Mysteries, which is Basically a 180 from Beyond the Game. It's a, it's a show about unsolved mysteries, creepy occurrences. Um, we have a lot of fun with it. Benson asked us if while he was out, we would do a segment where we do a crossover from that show into this one. So stay tuned for that. We're going to talk about Major League Baseball ghost stories. I think it's going to be a fun segment. I have a useless information. we got shenanigans and a lot more coming up. This is Beyond the Game. Do you know an athlete whose participation in athletics is vital to their college choice? Then consider telling them about Roberts Wesleyan College. Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts. We field 17 varsity sports and offer the only NCAA D2 program in Greater Rochester. Our teams have won six conference titles and reached three NCAA national championship appearances. Help the athlete you know to take their game to the next level. Visit roberts.edu. When I have a home remodeling project, whether interior or exterior, I call McAfee's Remodeling Company. Family owned for nearly two decades, McAfee's Remodeling Company is a name I trust. Mike McAfee put a new bathroom into my house three years ago, and I'm still getting compliments on it every time someone comes over to visit. Mike and his crew are experienced and professional, and you'll be thrilled with their work. So give McAfee's Remodeling Company a call today at 402-1070. That's 402-1070. Or visit them online at McAfeeRemodeling.com. Welcome back to Beyond the Game. Zach Barletta here filling in for Rick Benson. My brother Spencer is on the studio line. And Spencer, something that you and I have been pouring a lot of time and energy into, too much time and energy, but we've been 
preparing <laughs> for the NFL offseason free agency, which is just days away now, and then the NFL draft. And the talk of the league this offseason is quarterbacks. We've never seen a year like this. So we thought we would take some time in this segment since, quite honestly, we're up to our noses in this stuff anyways, and talk about where we think the top quarterbacks are going to go. Spencer, are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do this. All right, let's start with the free agent quarterbacks. The top four, I think, that are getting the most headlines are Kirk Cousins, Case Keenum, Teddy Bridgewater, and A.J. McCarron. So, all right, the first one, the big name on the list, of course, is Kirk Cousins. It looks like the Broncos are not going to be able to get it done. The rumor is that he's deciding between the Jets and the Vikings. And look, even if the Jets do guarantee him $60 million in the first year, Kirk Cousins also wants to go to a winner. And there's no better combination of chance to win and freed up cap space than the Minnesota Vikings. So I have Kirk Cousins going to the Vikings. How about you? We're going to agree on this one. Look, I think from the beginning, we all kind of knew it was going to be a two-horse race. The media plays this up, and they have to make things interesting. Hey, the Jets are going to throw a whole bunch of money at him. Hey, the Cardinals might be involved. Larry Fitzgerald is making phone calls. But I think we knew based on the money he would be looking for and the teams that he he wanted to go to, he wanted to be competitive. I think it was always going to be the Broncos and the Vikings. There are rumors coming out that the Vikings are willing to pay him as much as $91 million guaranteed over a three-year span. And with great weapons in Minnesota, all we have to go on are these reports. And the reports say that whether right or wrong, he's looking at Minnesota uh, and the two teams are kind of winking at one another. So I'm going to say, as of right now, I completely agree and Vikings are probably his destination. So that leaves the Broncos as uh, moving on to the uh, their plan B. I think the plan B for the Broncos is going to be Case Keenum, which is ironic because, of course, he would be leaving the Minnesota Vikings. <laughs> but I think they would like a veteran who is still, I believe as of now, just barely on the right side of 30. Um, he had a great season last year, uh, obviously the best of his career. Uh, um, he obviously got within a game of the Super Bowl. Um, I think as much as the Broncos want her cousins, I think Keenum is an acceptable plan B for them. I do as well. And, um, while we may differ on some things later, we'll continue to be boring here. I have Keenum to the Broncos as well. And if for no other reason, then he is just kind of the, uh, the, the second prize uh, of free agency is what he's considered to be. He played well, played really at a pro bowl caliber level last year. Yeah. And, um, I think John Elway will like what he saw. There are rumors that uh, that he is he Case Keenum is the Broncos' target, and I think that he will end up there at the very least as a bridge quarterback, perhaps for one of the young guys that we'll talk about here in a little bit. The next quarterback on my list of free agents is Teddy Bridgewater, who of course is another now former Vikings quarterback. And the Jets have made a lot of noise this week, whether it came from them or from their reporters, but we've heard a lot of talk about Teddy Bridgewater being their plan B should they miss out on Kirk Cousins. And look, I think Teddy Bridgewater could be a pretty good signing for anybody. He's still young. Um, He seems to be fully recovered from that horrendous knee injury that he suffered a couple seasons ago. And, you know, he, he could still be, at this point, a franchise quarterback. 
you know, he was making steady progress with the Vikings before the injury. He can be had fairly cheaply on a prove-it deal because he's coming off of two missed seasons. The Jets could get him pretty affordably, still have a lot of cap space to put weapons around him, and sort of stumble into a franchise quarterback along the way. So I have Teddy Bridgewater going to the Jets. This is where we're going to start to differ, and I'm excited to see what your opinion is on this. I do agree with you on one thing, and that is that Teddy Bridgewater does have the potential to be a franchise quarterback. In fact, I wanted him as possibly a bridge quarterback in Buffalo for a young uh, upcoming quarterback with maybe then the potential to, if they both turned out to be good and above average, one of them could be traded. However, based on what I'm seeing, I'm going to put him with another team that people are forgetting about, the Arizona Cardinals. The, oh, good one. The Arizona Cardinals need a quarterback. They are one of the teams, I believe, like the Vikings, who do not have a single uh, starting quarterback or backup quarterback on their roster going into this year. I think they have been very clear that they want uh, maybe maybe to draft a rookie, but that they want a starter. They want a starting caliber quarterback right now. Larry Fitzgerald is staying on the team at least one more year with records uh, that he is eyeing, looking to break them. And I think that they would enjoy maybe with some of the issues they're having on offensive line, having a quarterback who, if proven to be healthy, can get outside of the pocket and air the ball out for people like Larry Fitzgerald and maybe some of the speed wide receivers that they have or might be bringing in because they do uh, historically like to have some of those guys that can really stretch the field. I think that Teddy Bridgewater would be a good fit in Arizona. You know, I like that, and that actually makes, I think, more sense than maybe my Jets pick, believe it or not, because, you know, look, the the Cardinals under Bruce Arians were a downfield vertical passing team. Bruce Arians is gone. And they have a coach now that wants to win with defense and run the football. Teddy Bridgewater, while he's a good and an accurate quarterback, is not a downfield passer. He is is an accuracy passer. And so for a team that wants to not turn the ball over and win with defense, Teddy Bridgewater could be a perfect guy to just throw those short passes to Larry Fitzgerald across the middle of the field and throw the ball to David Johnson and move the ball that way. Plus, he would get to play in a warm-weather state. We all remember when Bridgewater was in the Combine, what a big deal was made about his small hands. Hmm. Keeping him in warm weather and out of a snowy New York winter would probably be a good idea. And, uh, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Curious to see what happens, but um, that's where I'm putting him. The last quarterback that I want to talk about as far as free agents is A.J. McCarron, who obviously has not played a lot because he's been backing up Andy Dalton, who for some reason keeps... Uh, his job as a starting quarterback for the Bengals year after year. Uh, but that's another tangent. McCarron won his grievance against the team. He is now going to be a free agent. Someone's going to give him Mike Glennon-type money this year to see if he can be a franchise quarterback or not. Um, I put him with the Browns, and simply because the Browns have a history of making bad choices as a quarterback, and they tried to trade for him at the deadline, so he seems like a Cleveland special to me. Doesn't it just seem to fit the whole Cleveland narrative that they attempted to give up multiple picks for a guy who ends up being a free agent just a few short months later? Yeah, and you know, the Browns have just... I made this observation when the playoffs started, right? The Browns passed on Deshaun Watson, who was drafted with a pick acquired from the Browns and was on his way to being rookie offensive rookie of the year when he got hurt. He was phenomenal. The Browns, the Browns passed on Carson Wentz and traded that pick 
he went to the playoffs and his team won the Super Bowl. They passed on Jared Goff and traded that pick away. Jared Goff was just in the playoffs. The Browns just cannot settle on a quarterback. And the number of bad choices they've made as far as quarterback goes are mind-boggling. So why wouldn't they throw starter money at A.J. McCarron? And I think they're well on their way to doing it. Hugh Jackson, the coach of the Browns, has already come out. And he's another guy who probably shouldn't have a job. But he's come out and said, yep, Hugh, uh, excuse me, not Hugh Jackson. A.J. McCarron's in our sights, and I think he said the word exceeding. They are exceedingly uh, interested in bringing him in to be their quarterback. So I think at this point to say he will go anywhere else other than the Browns, who have a lot of money to throw at him and have a coach who's exceedingly interested, <laughs> I think it would be silly to say that he'll go anywhere else right now. So I'm going to, to go with you on that one and plant him in the Browns uh, quarterback room. You know, you almost slipped up and said Hugh Jackson as the Browns quarterback, but honestly, you probably could just throw Hugh Jackson back there at quarterback and get probably the same numbers you're going to get from A.J. McCarron. So. He would be far better and doesn't have that horrendous chest tattoo. So, um, I, you know, I throw Wolverine in there at quarterback any day of the week, and it'll work out better. <laughs> yeah, if you haven't seen it, guys, Google uh, A.J. McCarron chest tattoo, and you will not be disappointed. Well, you might be. Yeah, you probably will be. Uh, okay, so let's now move into the quarterback prospects who are available in the draft. Of course, the big five are, in some order, Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson, and Josh Allen. So let's go through them. The big question, of course, for everybody is Josh Rosen, because the Bills have been linked to him. There's talk about the Bills trading up to the number two pick with the Giants to get him. Uh, it's looking more and more like the Browns will take Saquon Barkley at number one, which I think they should, which would leave all the quarterbacks available at number two should they move up with the Giants, which, mm-hmm. spoiler alert, I think they will do. So my pick for Josh Rosen is he goes at number two to the Buffalo Bills. What say you, Spencer? I say do it. Please, please do it, and I agree. I put him with the Buffalo Bills. Um, I don't want to wear out some of the reasons that you've already said, but... They have the ammunition to trade up, the relationship between Buffalo and New York um, to allow for a trade up, a an offensive lineman who they can afford to trade. Uh, the New York Giants are an offensive lineman short that they need. And even today, the New York Giants are getting a, a lot of publicity for a trade that they performed with the Rams where they traded away a few picks and they're now short on draft picks for this year. A good way to replenish those would be to make a massive trade with the Buffalo Bills, so Josh Rosen to Buffalo. Your lips to God's ears, Spencer. All right, number two on this list is Sam Darnold. Uh, he's a polarizing one because he could really, if you if you read the mock drafts, which honestly, Spencer, I need to stop reading them because most of them make me want to scream. But if you look at through all the various mock drafts, he goes anywhere from number one overall to near the end of the first round. He really, depending on the whim of the mock drafter, could go anywhere. I have him going uh, to the Broncos at number five. I think that even though I had them uh, signing Case Keenum, look, he is close to 30. He might be 30 when the season starts. And they really want to find that young quarterback of the future, that next John Elway, if you will. And I think Sam Darnold's style of play could be that. He is only 20 years old. He didn't play quarterback until, I believe, his junior year of high school. So he's a guy that you would want to draft. If you sign Keenum to that two- or three-year deal and sit 
a Darnold behind him for a couple of those years, suddenly your franchise quarterback is ready to go. So I see Sam Darnold going to the Broncos. He's also the kind of guy who can get out of trouble when an offensive line collapses, which is a problem that Denver has been having. I'm going to send him to the Broncos as well uh, for many of the reasons that you said. So again, I won't wear out that point. But I think that uh, if he if he makes it past four, which I see happening in this case, Sam uh, Darnold will be a Denver Bronco. Next on the list is one of my absolute favorite players in the draft, and that's Baker Mayfield. And I know that the Johnny Manziel comparison is there. And Benson and I talked about this several weeks ago. Baker Mayfield's not Johnny Manziel. Baker Mayfield is a leader of men. He's a hard worker. He's a very, very good quarterback. In my opinion, Baker Mayfield will be a lot closer to Drew Brees than he ever will to Johnny Manziel. That's another tangent. I could spend the rest of the show talking about Baker Mayfield, but I have him going in a trade-up. I actually did a mock draft today, and I had the Dolphins trading up to number three with the Colts to take Baker Mayfield, which pains me to say because that puts him in the Bills division and gives one of our main rivals a franchise quarterback, but... I have Baker Mayfield going to Miami. Let me twist the knife just a little bit more for you then. I've got him going to the New York Jets. Oof. I, uh, I've i heard rumors recently um, uh, of that possibly happening, and Mel Kuyper, I think, even coined the phrase um, Broadway Baker. As much as I don't want it to happen, I think he's got that New York personality. I think that he could very well be there at 6, immediately going after um, Sam Darnold and the Jets are going to be desperate for a quarterback that they have not had in a few years. I believe that Todd Bowles will be coaching for his job. And I just think that Baker Mayfield is a darn good quarterback, regardless of maybe some of his cocky attitude, uh, attitudinal issues that you, you may or may not like. So I'm going to put him with the New York Jets at pick number six. See, that doesn't actually bother me at all, because if Mel Kuyper predicted it, then there's no way it's going to happen. <laughs> Even the blind squirrel, I guess, but let's hope that it's not that one. Yeah, I don't want to hear Broadway Baker ever again. Let's move on to another one of my very favorite prospects in this draft. That's Lamar Jackson. I also think that Lamar Jackson will be a very, very good NFL quarterback. If you watch him, he just looks like a slimmer right-handed Michael Vick, but with more uh, emphasis on downfield passing. I love him. He's a great prospect. I've seen him falling to the second round in mock drafts, and I don't understand why. I have him going to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, look, they just extended Blake Bortles, but I don't think anybody is convinced that Blake Bortles is a franchise quarterback. I think no. Lamar Jackson goes to the Jaguars to sit behind him, and I think by the end of the year, he may be their starting quarterback. I think that the Jacksonville Jaguars are a perfect fit for Lamar Jackson. That being said, I don't think he's going to make it that far. I have Lamar Jackson going to the Dolphins at pick 11, or perhaps just a little bit before pick 11 if they're interested in moving up. The Dolphins have not been shy about the fact that they are uh, maybe interested in taking a quarterback if the opportunity presents itself. They've also not been shy about the fact that uh, Ryan Tannehill is supposed to be their quarterback this upcoming year. So I can see a scenario where... They allow Tannehill at least one more year before they get out of his contract. They snag Lamar Jackson, um, who has some certain similarities, the ability to move outside of the pocket, to scramble, and a far better arm than Ryan Tannehill has, and I honestly think has the ability to be a far better quarterback than Tannehill does. 
and can also get the ball down the field to the likes of Kenny Stills and Devontae Parker. So I think that uh, the Dolphins, they've been in the bushes. People have been talking about them maybe being in the quarterback market. I don't know that Lamar Jackson will get past them at 11. That's really interesting, and that would absolutely break my heart if Lamar Jackson went to the Dolphins and was in the division, because I love that kid. I think he's going to be a great NFL player. The last of the top five quarterbacks, the potential first-rounders, is the kid from Wyoming, Josh Allen, who is incredibly talented and physically gifted as he is. I want nowhere near Buffalo. Um, He's probably going in the first round. I have him going at the fourth overall pick to the Cleveland Browns. What say you, Spencer? I am right there with you. Almost the exact same scenario. Either pick one or pick four. Josh Allen to the Browns. And uh, other than the fact that rumors have been coming out of saying that they're interested in him for some time, Ken Dorsey, the general manager of the Browns, also was a part of selecting a certain other young quarterback named Patrick Mahomes, who was another raw prospect with a ton of potential and a cannon on his arm. So I'm thinking history might be bound to repeat itself with Ken Dorsey in Cleveland. I think it makes sense. That is our top quarterback landing spot predictions. Uh, Of course, now that we've said all of these and they're recorded and they're airing on the radio for posterity, they will all be wrong and we will look like idiots. But that's what we think as far as landing spots for the top quarterbacks. Stay tuned. You're listening to Beyond the Game. Hey, it's Zach. If you're a fan of Unsolved Mysteries, Mythical Monsters, Murder Whodunits, or just podcasts in general, check out my other show, The Myths and Mysteries Podcast. Every two weeks, my brother Spencer and I tell fascinating stories about topics like the Bermuda Triangle, JFK's assassination, chupacabras, serial killers, and more. You can find us by searching for Myths and Mysteries on iTunes or Google Play or on our website, mythsandmysteriespod.com. Don't forget to click subscribe and leave us a review to let us know what you think. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Myths Podcast. So go check out the Myths and Mysteries Podcast, and we'll see you next time. Are you a fan of March Madness? The Red Hawks are. And Roberts Wesleyan College will be hosting the East Coast Conference Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament this year. Plan to attend the semifinals on Saturday, March 3rd, and championship Sunday on March 4th as teams compete to punch their ticket to the NCAA D2 National Tournament at Roberts Wesleyan College, Rochester's only NCAA Division II Athletic Scholarship Program. For all your Red Hawks information, visit robertsredhawks.com. Roberts Wesleyan, make it yours. Welcome back to Beyond the Game. Spencer, it's time for my favorite segment that we do every week, and that is shenanigans, where I will give statements, and then we will either agree with them or call shenanigans. So let's start with number one. Two NFL player agents told a reporter for the Houston Chronicle they believe the Houston Texans refused to sign any NFL players who protested the national anthem this year. Truth or shenanigans, players who protested will have a tough time finding jobs when free agency opens. I'm going to say truth, but I don't think it's going to be true in every scenario. I do think that there will be teams out there 
who have a certain preference in uh, in politics or in employment and how they want their players to represent the team on the sideline that may not select players. But let's be honest, there were a lot of players in the NFL last year that were a part of the National Anthem protests in one way or another to try and boycott them, um, to not hire them or bring them onto your team. You're ruling out a lot of possibilities, and these teams want to win. I'm going to say that it will be true of some teams, or it will be true with some players, maybe some players who were very vocal, very outspoken, uh, or who maybe received more criticism. But for the most part, I'm going to say that these guys will end up with jobs because they're good football players, because people uh, want their teams to win. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, look, overall, I think it is going to be difficult because, first of all, several of them were fringe players at the bottom of a roster who weren't starting players, and they're going to have tough times finding jobs anyways. And But I also think if you're a really outspoken player, um, teams would prefer to find somebody with no negative media attention who can do your job at a similar level. Um, we just saw Michael Bennett get traded this week for peanuts. And this is a really, really good football player. And he was, of course, one of the most vocal about the anthem protest. We've seen Colin Kaepernick hasn't sniffed an NFL job in a couple of years. So I really think that, um, I think, yeah, overall, they're going to have trouble finding jobs. If you are an elite talent, you will find a job. But otherwise, I think it will be tough. Number two, truth or shenanigans. The Buffalo Bills are specifically signing free agents like Ray Davis and Chris Ivory, who were cut by their teams, to fill roster holes so that they can trade a draft pick package to move up and draft a quarterback. Well, Spencer, I think you already know um, my opinion on this because I have already said in the last segment I believe the Bills will trade up to number two with the Giants and draft Josh Rosen, and I will pass out from joy. But, um, yeah, I think that, look, if you're the Bills, you can sign players who were cut by their teams. You could sign them before the free agent starting period opens, like they have been doing. They don't affect your compensatory pick formula, so you can still potentially add extra picks in the future when some of your players leave. And the more players you can sign to fill holes for a low dollar amount, the fewer draft picks you need to use on filling those holes, so therefore the more you can trade away in a move up. So, yes, I agree. Me as well. Look, I like the signings either way, I think. These are okay signings. They fill positions of need cheaply, and they fill positions of need uh, to a level that is better than what we had last year or equal to it. So then the question is, why do we replace them in free agency when maybe you could get a great young corner late in the draft or a great young running back late in the draft? I think it is because they want to have as many picks as possible to make that trade up. So um, as of right now, it makes sense to me. I'm going to say it's true. Sticking with football, number three, the Pittsburgh Steelers have officially franchise-tagged running back Le'Veon Bell, who has previously said that he'd rather retire than play on the tag again. Truth or shenanigans, Le'Veon Bell will remain a Pittsburgh Steeler. I'm going to say it's true for one more year. I think that Le'Veon Bell has come out and said, hey, I will play this year. I'm not going to retire. I'm not going to sit out the whole year. He probably will sit out for a few games, maybe. That seems like his uh, annual ritual at this point, to sit out a few games, hold out. But 
I think that after all the uh, contract negotiations that have gone on, they've not been able to get an agreement in place. I don't see his opinion changing on what he wants, and I think that the Pittsburgh Steelers will at some point decide that, hey, we'll take a shot on another young gun in the draft with a lot of young running backs coming up uh, and doing so well out of the draft that they don't want to pay him uh, really honestly what I think he's probably worth. So, yes, I think he will be a Steeler for 16-plus more games. I agree with that, with everything that you said. I think that eventually, um, look, they don't want to spend that kind of money on the running back position. They just don't, you know, or they would have by now. Um, now, there's a potential for it. Uh, they did just uh, redo Antonio Brown's contract, and they're going to save something like 9 or $10 million in cap space this year. So maybe they're getting ready to, to re-sign Lev Bell, but... I think you're right. I think that they'll give him one more year under the tag. And then um, like Kirk Cousins this year, he'll hit the market next year and somebody will back up a Brinks truck for him and he'll be a former Steeler. So maybe look for the Steelers to pick a running back in the draft this year. But uh, I agree. Number four, Sammy Watkins and Allen Robinson are both set to hit the open market after neither young stud wide receiver was franchise tagged. Truth or shenanigans, the Bills are in play for one of those two top wide receivers. Spencer, what do you think? My heart says that I wish that they would be, but I think I'm going to have to say shenanigans just based on how the team has been handling things. I think that they have other positions of need. Uh, for example, defensive tackle, obviously quarterback, linebacker. They do have a, a need at wide receiver, but... Even Allen Robinson coming off of a knee surgery has the potential to be way more expensive than what Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott have uh, been acting like they want to pay on any one position just because of the number of teams that will want him. I personally think it would be a good idea, uh, especially because I think that we are going to get a young quarterback to surround him with high talent, but I don't know that they're going to be willing to give the amount of money that one of those guys would demand. So. I will say shenanigans, although I wish it was not. I'm with you. I would love to see Allen Robinson in a Bills uniform catching bombs from Josh Rosen. That would be fantastic. But I really think that this offseason has played out in the exact opposite scenario of what you would need. If the Bills were going to use all of their draft picks to fill roster holes, then they could afford to use their open cap space on a, a top player like an Allen Robinson or a Sammy Watkins. But the, the Bills have opted to use their free agent money to fill the roster holes, which is not going to leave you a lot to drop on one specific player. Um, so I think the Bills will add a wide receiver, but I think it will be through the draft or maybe a lower tier free agent. Um, as much as I would love to see one, of, one or both of those players in Buffalo, I don't think it will happen. Last but not least... Switching to baseball, the Arizona Diamondbacks are bringing back the bullpen cart, so their relievers will now ride in from the bullpen in a golf cart, the way players used to back in the day, rather than jogging in from the bullpen. Truth or shenanigans, every MLB team should bring back the bullpen cart. What do you think? Heck yeah, man. I, you know, I gotta say, in some situations, I'm for it. Um, if you haven't seen, I think you've probably seen the picture of what the new golf cart looks like. It's a big Diamondbacks hat on the roof of the golf cart and the two front, <laughs> you know, posts that hold the roof up are baseball bats. It looks really cool. It's fun. Um, the only situation where I don't want to see it is when the closer comes in. 
Because ah. when the closer comes in, you think back to the days of Mariana Rivera or Billy Wagner or these guys that come into this intimidating song and they're jogging in and the stadium's rocking and it's just this intimidation factor and it's a really cool scene and it's just not the same if Mariana Rivera is riding in an golf cart, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's really not, especially a uh, a well-decorated golf cart, but... Uh, I don't know. I, I I don't know. I don't have strong opinions about this. Well, I'm gonna say shenanigans. They can they can jog in. It can be the end of their uh, warm up. It's certainly not for the closers. That was all that I could think about as we were thinking through this question. So you know, sure. I don't know. Maybe the starting pitchers, but uh, you know, baseball has a bit of a reputation uh, from from select people who don't really fully understand it. Uh, true, but. Uh, that, you know, they might not be as high athletes as some of the other, uh, sports put out. I don't know. Let them, let them jog in, especially the closers to some, uh, exciting music for the fans. So, not real strongly opinionated, but, uh, shenanigans. Before we go, Spencer, we used to do a segment on this show all the time called Useless Information, where I would give a fact that I found interesting. Uh, but that didn't really mean much in the end. It was just kind of cool. And I found one of those this week, so I am bringing back useless information. Uh, Spencer, David Phelps is a relief pitcher for the Seattle Mariners. You may remember him as a Yankees prospect way back in the day. But uh, a tweet from Larry Stone, who is at StoneLarry on Twitter, said, This is David Phelps' seventh major league season, and he has been teammates with Ichiro Suzuki, Every year of his career. If reports of Ichiro signing with the Mariners are true, that streak will continue with a third different team. Well, Spencer, Ichiro is going back to the Mariners, which means that for the seventh straight year, he and David Phelps will be Major League teammates. Um, Phelps came up with the Yankees when Ichiro was an outfielder for the Yankees. Ichiro, after a couple seasons, ends up going to the Marlins. The Yankees trade David Phelps to the Marlins. The two are teammates with the Marlins. Then last year, uh, I believe at the deadline, David Phelps got traded to the Mariners. David Phelps is still a Mariner. Ichiro Suzuki is signing there this season. So Ichiro and David Phelps, <laughs> BFFs forever. Coming up after this break, we have a special treat we told you about earlier in the show. Spence and I are the hosts of another podcast called Myths and Mysteries, which is drastically different from this show. But Benson asked us if in his absence we could put together a segment where we do a crossover episode and bring that show onto this one. So after the break, we're going to do just that. Stay tuned. This is Beyond the Game. Do you know a high school athlete looking for a D2 college? Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts Wesleyan College. We're proud to be a serious athletic school with great opportunities for serious athletes. In fact, we have the only Division II athletic program in the area. Our many varsity programs range from basketball, tennis, and cross country to track and field, golf, volleyball, and soccer. Tell the young athlete in your life about Roberts. Visit roberts.edu. It took me a long time to be able to say Chandler has cancer because that is such a scary word. When St. Jude finds something that works well with a certain cancer, they share that with everybody. And knowing that we don't have to pay for all of the medical expenses, that's huge. We just have to worry about helping Chandler, and he's just my heart. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Finding cures. 
saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. Welcome back to Beyond the Game. Well, this is the segment I've been waiting for for this entire show, Spencer, which is we're going to merge two shows that are completely unrelated, and we're <laughs> going to do a segment where we bring our podcast, Myths and Mysteries, onto this show. Benson asked us to do it. I thought it was a fantastic idea. I had just the story in mind. In case you haven't heard it, or heard us talk about it, or heard our commercials on every episode of this show, on Myths and Mysteries, we take a topic that is creepy, mysterious, usually unsolved. We talk about it, and then we go into a discussion segment after we've told the story where we try to figure out if we think it's real or not. And we've done chupacabras, we've done um, UFOs, we have done recently Dogman, we've done crop circles, crop circles, we've done unsolved murders, we do all kinds of stuff. We have a blast doing it, and we're excited to get to bring it to you so, without further ado, Spencer, are you ready? Absolutely. All right, let's do it. If you're a baseball fan, or just a fan of awesome movies, then you're probably familiar with the 1989 Kevin Costner film, Field of Dreams. In the film, Costner's character, Ray Kinsella, hears a voice in his cornfield telling him, if you build it, he will come, and sees a vision of a baseball diamond in his field. Kinsella plows the corn and builds the baseball diamond, and then nothing happens for a while, until one night he sees the ghost of Shoeless Joe Jackson, who Ray's father had idolized. Shoeless Joe's ghost goes on to bring the spirits of other old-time ballplayers to the field until, by the end of the film, there are enough ghosts that they are playing full games of baseball. Field of Dreams is fun, and Ray Kinsella's reunion with his father's spirit is heartwarming. But it's not the only ghost story associated with Major League Baseball. In fact, there are a lot more. Because for decades, professional ball players have been seeing some ghosts of their own. If you build it, he will come doesn't just apply to that baseball diamond in Ray Kinsella's cornfield. Apparently, it also applies to some creepy old hotels. You're listening to a special Beyond the Game crossover edition of Myths and Mysteries. giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. Indians call him Sasquatch. There are busts of King Tut that also show an elongated skull. Taunting the police, chiding them, daring them to capture him. And finally, he invented a name for himself, Jack the Ripper. Analysis of the grand features suggests that this animal was indeed at least 40 feet long. He could have easily eaten up a man. I expect that we'll keep looking um, from now on until we find him or find out what happened. When I started researching for this, I vaguely remembered an old article I'd read in the past about a hotel in Milwaukee that some MLB players refused to stay at because of their creepy experiences with ghosts. The quick Google search revealed that this wasn't an isolated incident. Ballplayers across the country in both the major and minor leagues have had unforgettably spooky encounters in their hotel rooms. When outfielder Carlos Gomez was still a young man first tasting the big leagues with the Minnesota Twins, 
he was known to teammates and reporters alike as a gregarious kid who, despite his broken English, always answered every question asked of him by the media. Until one day when the twins were in Milwaukee in 2008. A reporter casually asked Gomez, How do you like the hotel you're staying in? Gomez cursed, waved his hand dismissively, and ended the interview. Gomez's response was not entirely unexpected. When visiting Milwaukee, the twins always stay at the Pfister Hotel, which is known nationally as a hot spot for paranormal activity. Gomez is far from the first ball player to have his experience there, and certainly isn't the last. It's often reported that Charles Pfister, who opened the hotel in 1893, is seen standing on the grand staircase, gazing down on the hotel's ornate lobby. Carlos Gomez had heard stories about the Pfister Hotel from veteran teammates who had stayed there previously. He had just finished showering when he heard voices speaking. This was unusual because he was alone in the room. He walked out of the bedroom and then froze when his iPod turned on by itself and began playing tunes and vibrating across the table, seemingly of its own volition. Unnerved, Gomez turned the iPod off but as he backed away, it began playing music and vibrating once again. Gomez left the room immediately and went downstairs, still carrying his pants and shoes, and took a cab to the ballpark. Once there, he relayed his experience to Jerry White, who was then the Twins' first base coach. White told Gomez that he had stayed up all night, finally falling asleep at around 6 a.m. when sunlight began creeping in the window. Gomez and White are not the only players to experience supernatural events at the Fister. Most players will agree that the Fister in Milwaukee is by far the most haunted hotel they've experienced. Outfielder Giancarlo Stanton compared it to Disney's Haunted Mansion attraction. Pablo Sandoval, Jason Hayward, and Justin Upton have spent their own money to stay in a different Milwaukee hotel from their teams to avoid further interactions with the Fister's ghostly inhabitants. Third baseman Adrian Beltre's TV and air conditioner both turned on and off by themselves. Infielder Brendan Ryan saw a ball of light fly through his room. Outfielder Mike Cameron said multiple players have woken up suddenly in the night, sensing a presence close by in the dark. He also said that locked doors have been known to unlock and open themselves while the players are asleep. Some people were even unlucky enough to have paranormal experiences in more than one hotel. White, the aforementioned first base coach, said that the Fister Hotel was only the second creepiest hotel he'd stayed in. The number one honor belongs to the Renaissance Vinoy in St. Petersburg, Florida. The Vinoy was beautiful when it opened its doors in 1925, but eventually fell into disrepair for nearly two decades before being restored and reopened in 1992. In 2003, the Boston Herald ran a story recounting a tale told by relief pitcher Scott Williamson, who said, I was asleep on my stomach, and all of a sudden it felt like someone was pushing down on my back and I couldn't breathe. I thought maybe it was a cramp or something, but then I rolled over and looked over at the window, and there was this guy standing there. It was a guy wearing old-fashioned clothes, like something you might see in the 1930s or 20s. He had a top hat, and he was just looking right at me. I jumped up and turned on the lights, but he was gone. It would be bad enough to have just one or two haunted hotels, 
but there are many accounts of hauntings at various hotels all over the USA. Former Indian slugger Travis Hafner had his bed shaken by an invisible force at the Partridge Inn in Savannah, Georgia, as a member of the minor league Sand Nats. Baseman Carlos Pena said he could never sleep at the Shoney's Inn in Bossier City, Louisiana. Former Texas Rangers infielder Michael Young had an experience, but said he found a way to deal with it. Said Young, A couple years ago, I was lying in bed after a night game, and I was out. My room was locked, but I heard these footsteps inside my room stomping around. I'd heard all these stories about this hotel, so I was wide awake at that point. And then I heard it again, these footsteps on the floor, so I yelled out, Hey, make yourself at home, hang out, have a seat, but do not wake me up, okay? After that, I didn't hear a thing for the rest of the night. I just let him know he was welcome, that we could be pals, that he could marinate in there for as long as he needed to, just as long as he didn't wake me up. Whatever these ball players are seeing and experiencing, be it a genuine supernatural encounter or a prank by clever teammates, they believe in it. It's affected them to the point that they're willing to talk about it on the record. So, if you're in Milwaukee or St. Petersburg, and you're thinking about getting a room in the same hotel as your favorite baseball team, maybe think twice. Well, Spence, those are some pretty fun stories, right? I love things like this, and it actually seemed like a, a kind of a seamless transition from our other show, which is you know mysterious and intriguing and true crime related to sports world. It, it translated kind of nicely, I think. I think so. Now, look, a lot of the stuff that these players are talking about can be pretty easily debunked, right? And reading the the articles that I read to research this, some of the guys that were targeted, specifically Carlos Gomez and uh, Jerry White, other players on the Twins knew that those two guys were kind of jumpy and superstitious. <laughs> and uh, Jerry White was actually pranked in one of his hotel rooms by some guys on the Twins who went up to his room uh, while he was in the lobby and with their fingers and their breath wrote, Welcome, Jerry, on his mirror. <laughs> and, of course, he couldn't see it. So then later that night he gets out of the shower and his mirror says, Welcome, Jerry, and he flips out. You know, so some of these guys have been targeted for pranks by their teammates. You know, maybe the iPod turning on is an electrical fault, although he never mentions it happening any other time. But some of these, like Michael Young seeing the old guy in the top hat and stuff, some of these are, they seem like legitimately creepy things that happened, and they're kind of scary. Baseball players are kind of notorious pranksters as well, but that story that you just mentioned is, it's just genuinely terrifying. Yeah, and baseball players also, of course, are some of the most superstitious people on the planet. Very true. Um, but, you know, things like... uh Michael Young seeing the guy in the top hat, Travis Hafner's bed shaking, you know, in the night while he's in it. Um, look, doors swinging open by themselves. If you've watched an episode of Ghost Hunters, you're going to see that. A lot of times it's just because it's an old house and the doors don't latch properly. But, you know, in the instance where players have said there have been multiple instances of locked doors inside the rooms unlocking and then opening, that's pretty creepy. So... Look, I'm not going to be staying at any of these hotels anytime soon. Absolutely not. I uh, I will be perfectly content to just read about them. Well, Spencer, there's one more thing that we have to do before we sign off. It's something that Benson and I do every week. There's a lot in the world of sports that we talk about that's negative. Like, unfortunately, the things that we opened our show with. So we like to try and end the show 
was something that is positive that we saw in the sports world that we really liked this week. So what I'm going to go with for my You Like That this week, linebacker Shaquem Griffin. Um, you probably know of him as the guy in the NFL with one hand, right? And he's a fantastic story. If you haven't seen it, do a little digging into him. Um, well, he went into the draft and somebody had said, you know, it would be inspiring if he could hit like five bench press reps with a prosthetic hand. Well, Shaquem Griffin went in and hit 20 reps, which is fantastic. And then he went out and ran a 4.38 in the 40-yard dash, the fastest 40 time by a linebacker in combine history. Shaquem Griffin has taken himself from a feel-good story and a guy who might be a special teams player in the NFL to a guy who might be a day-two pick in the draft. So Shaquem Griffin's combine is what I liked this week. What I like this week is a baseball story about uh, former pitcher Tim Linksicum. He's a former two-time Cy Young Award winner who we've all come to kind of know and love. He's a great pitcher, fun guy, and uh, for whatever reason was one of these guys who kind of tailed off in his career. And actually, the last time he appeared in the major leagues was in 2016 where he started for the Angels in just nine games and had 9.16 ERA over that span. He had such a terrible year that he was completely out of baseball last year. I'm a guy who loves second chances. I think that uh, from what I know of the Beyond the Game program, it's a show that loves second chances. And so what I like this week is the Rangers officially signing Tim Lincecum to come back and pitch again this upcoming year. He's been working very, very hard to uh, to get his body in shape, to get his pitching back on the line. So I certainly wish him the best, and that's uh, kind of a story of redemption and second chances for Tim Lincecum is what I like this week. I agree. Baseball's a lot more fun when Tim Lincecum's in it. Big game, Timmy Jim is back in baseball. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Beyond the Game. We thank you for listening in along with us. You can find us online at btgprogram.com. We're on Twitter and Facebook at btgprogram. Thank you for joining us. Next week, Benson will be back, so I will see you then. Have a good one, everybody. Be good this week.